This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 145 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Brew and Scott McLaughlin. And the Bruins tonight at the Garden, they beat the Florida Panthers 7-3, but this was a weird game. It it It's one of those games where you say they, they went 7-3, they must have played great. They didn't really play great. In fact, they kind of played pretty poorly tonight. Um, I guess the only silver lining is that when most teams go through a slump, they lose. When the Bruins play losing hockey, they still find a way to win. Um, it's a long season, and we'll break down the game, but just your guys' initial thoughts. Yeah, it's kind of a, a mark of a team that it just is better than other teams on sheer talent, right? Like that ability to win and get points even when you're not playing your best. And they've done that a few times recently, you know, Certainly against the Islanders, um, you know, Kings, they lose, but still get a point out of it. Columbus, they didn't play their best. Like, um, and certainly Florida on Monday night, they didn't play their best. So, yeah, it's been a little while since we've really seen their A game, but they were finishing chances, which, you know, they get how many of their goals were Five on five Monday night, I think uh, five of them, which like that was kind of coming because they've had some games where they've had five on five chances, but weren't scoring. So, you know, you figure that would even out a little bit at some point, but obviously it swung like totally in the, in the other direction to your point where like this was sort of one of those nights where everything's just going in. I thought Spencer Knight in goal for Florida had a tough night, mm-hmm. let in at least two, maybe three goals that he really probably should have stopped. Um, and, you know, Bruins nearly blow a 4 nothing lead. It gets always to 4-3. And then they finally, you know, wake up enough to put the game away. But, yeah, I mean, they gave up a lot of possession and they gave up a lot of chances to Florida. Uh, Allmark, even though – I think Allmark gave up one goal. He'd probably like back. But even though he gave up three in the game, that was really solid for the most part and needed to make needed to make some saves while the Bruins were were sort of asleep at the wheel for much of the second period. Yeah, and and you know, in the span of time where they gave up those three goals in the second period, it was like under six minutes and they gave up those three goals. And Montgomery said in between the second and third goal they gave up, he was thinking about calling a timeout. And then he heard the conversations that were going on on the bench between some of the leaders on the team, like Bergeron, I assume like Felino. Um, and he, and he was saying the conversations were already being had on the bench. If I called a timeout, there wasn't much more I could have said to him. Like it was being handled and they never felt like they like got desperate or, or they, you know, it just seemed like the team leadership was able to handle everything. And he's kind of alluded to the fact that he's been able to be 
very hands-off compared to teams that he's had in the past. Whereas like he just trusts Bergeron and some of the veteran guys to just, he just lets them take the reins on that kind of leadership stuff um, and doesn't butt in. And, and it, he has a lot of trust in them and in trust in the team in that way. And so they don't call the timeout. They end up giving up that third goal and then they score the next three and it ends up being a game. They win by four goals. Um, even though they, you know, had a tough stretch of time. And when we talked to Krejci after the game as well, he said it was for nothing at, at the point that it got up for nothing. He thought that it shouldn't have been for nothing. And that, that some of those goals, like he's like, things were just going in for us. Um, so he thought that they didn't play well enough to be up for nothing at the point. Um, the Pasternak's power play goal. Yeah, I mean he's exactly right. I I felt the same way. It was it was a weird, it was a weird game to watch because you're watching a team that slept through their alarm clock, um, you know, for like the third time in the last three games. And I mean, Florida was was out out playing Boston in, in every every aspect. They were out skating them, um, winning battles, loose pucks. They were they were more physical. They were more determined. And you're watching the game, and you're like, like you know. Hampus Lindholm almost got his head taken off at center ice. Uh, Pasternak almost got his head taken off. Brandon Montour was just kind of like really trying to make a statement with some, with some key hits and he just barely missed them. And you know, like it's one thing to be nonchalant over the course of an 82 game season in a game. But the problem is like you're more vulnerable to, to injuries and you're more vulnerable to just like shit going wrong when, when you're not engaged the way you should be when you're skating, your skating legs aren't there. And all that being said, somehow, somehow the score is for nothing. And the team that's up for nothing is a team that's done virtually nothing to earn that lead. And it was really strange. So it, it was almost kind of karma when, when Florida came back to make it four to three and it was like, well, here's your wake up call because you're about to lose this lead in about five minutes. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's just, I, I understand it's a long season, but I'm glad the Bruins are self-aware, but you just can't, you can't make a habit of this. And I understand that we sound kind of, or I sound kind of, kind of spoiled saying this because they're like 25 and four or whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's, they're collecting points, but in that locker room, they know that they're not playing winning hockey. And uh, I'm curious where you guys feel like that, that stems from. I mean, obviously their skating game hasn't been there. Is there anything else that you feel like is, Besides teams giving them their best, like teams are getting up for the Bruins games, right? But besides that, like, where do you think that this team is faltering, um, even in games that they're winning? Yeah, I think one thing like they won't admit to, or it's one of those things that maybe they'll admit to, like once they get back to playing winning hockey and playing the way they were. But I do kind of wonder, like, if there's some complacency that's sort of set in where it's like. Hey, we're in first place. We're the best record in the league. We've been cruising. Look, we're we're getting points even when we don't play our best. And like, it's hard not to let that seep into your your mindset a little bit. Where, you know, it's like, yeah, you know what? If we don't start with our absolute best in the first period, we'll figure it out because we've done that before. And yeah, okay, if we get up by a couple goals and let up, you know what we've figured out ways to bounce back and close out games and still get points. And, you know, I, I just think, I think there has to, that has to be part of it. You know, I'm sure 
especially like, hey, you're getting towards Christmas. They've got a winter classic on the horizon. I think maybe like they're just not, you know, all in, like have their full attention on each and every night, each and every shift, the way that they would during maybe a tougher or maybe like a better stretch or a tougher stretch. Like I think we saw it, you know, that stretch like everyone had circled where, hey, they're facing, you know, one contender after another. We saw them playing really well to start that stretch. And then they go out on the road and, you know, I think played well throughout that first road trip and then, uh, or, you know, most of it. And then you get towards the end of it and you come home and it's like, all right, we got through that. And now it feels like there's almost this, this like let up period. And, you know, I feel like maybe they'll ramp back up as they get towards the winter classic, because that's going to be something that they're pretty excited for. But for now it's like, sort of just you know like the baseball term would be the dog days of august like this is the this is sort of like the the dog days of, of december for them right now where i feel like they're just not fully invested the way that they were early in the season and will be at some point again yeah and i, I don't even know if it's like I, I don't think it's like a conscious like oh, i'm gonna take no. a break here and there it's like i really do think they're all still like mentally if they're at least if like a majority of them are still pretty mentally engaged um and like you never see bergeron like take a shift off or like i don't know like some of them are definitely dealing with with a little bit of something like once again marshawn had a strong first period but um you know you can still just see that he's not 100 percent. scott you asked Krejci, you know how he thinks his game is at this point in the season and he said i don't really know how to answer that question um you know he'll always say that he can get better was pretty much his answer but um but yeah like there's some players that aren't at their best game i think Krejci isn't at his best game i think marshawn i think mcavoy um but I want to go, and I think you answered that pretty well, Scott, so I don't have much to add. But I want to go back to, like, what we were talking about with just kind of like a weird start to the game. You know it's a weird start when your first two goals are by defensemen, and one of them is Brandon Carlo, who hadn't scored yet on the season until his 27th game. And, you're, you know, those those are your first two goals. Clifton scores on kind of a lucky bounce the puck came back to him and he was in the right spot um you know doing the right thing but he gets a a goal and then carlo just kind of gets one straight through um what did you guys think of those two's play i know scott you're writing a piece about carlo yeah well i thought it was i mean that was one thing they did well throughout this game was the defenseman joining the rush and getting involved like like you said like you know clifton yeah, it gets a little bit of a fortunate bounce in the end, but made that happen by leading the rush down the right wing and throwing the puck to the front to get it to a dangerous area. Um, Carlo does a good job jumping into the rush as, uh, as as the trailer and takes a pass at the blue line and then, you know, takes a few steps in and picks a spot. Um, Carlo had an assistant transition on Coyle's goal. And then Krejci's goal is started by Hampus Lindholm leading the rush right at the middle and having the net drive um, redirects Krejci's pass off the post and then 
Krejci's right there to bury it. So, and Clifton on the Bergeron goal. Yep. Yeah. So like that was one thing that they actually did well throughout the game was getting the defenseman involved, and that directly led to several of their goals. Yeah, Clifton. I think it was the last goal of the game, the seventh goal that Bergeron scored. He's like, someone asked him, like, how did you know you're going to be able to get that through the neutral zone? Because there were two defenders, like, guarding along the wall. And he somehow slid it all the way along the wall through the neutral zone to Bergeron. And he was like, I didn't know if I could make it. But when Bergeron asked for the puck, you get him the puck. So he, it was more like Bergeron. He's like, Bergeron was screaming for for me to pass to him. So so I did. Um, but, yeah, and and – it's kind of something that we'd been hearing coach Montgomery talk about a little bit over the last week or so um, that he liked Carlos offensive game. And like, I think to the room, like to the guys and to, to coach, like it seemed like it was a matter of time for, for Carla to finally get a goal on the season. Um, And they were all very happy for him after the game. And Scott, you were able to talk to him while I was talking to, to Clifton, what did he say about how like he's kind of changed his mindset? Yeah, he said like he basically had to do like a mental reset after last season. And he said, you know, he came into this year basically just having like more appreciation for his career for being an angel player. And he feels like he's playing with with more joy this season. Um, and he said like that's that's kind of led him to being more confident and has allowed him to play a little looser. I think, I mean, think back to last year where it was like, he would play pretty well for the most part. And then he would just have like one brutal turnover in the D zone. And they all seemed to end up in the back of the net. And like, it became very noticeable. He obviously came under criticism for it. Um, you know, certainly from the outside, but I think also, probably from Bruce Cassidy and um, that wasn't entirely unfair. Like those are mistakes that someone who's been in the league as long as he has shouldn't make, but it, it almost, I feel like that almost kind of snowballed on him last year where it like became harder and harder for him to avoid those mistakes because the last one was still in his head. Um, and now he just seems to be playing with, with a clearer mind and he, you know, obviously had another concussion scare earlier this season, but I think has come back from that well. And, you know, Jim Montgomery said the last, he thinks Kyle has been great, like the last 10 to 15 games. And I would agree, especially defensively, he's been really solid. And, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if a goal was necessarily coming for him. Like, yeah, he's been, he's been involved at times, but obviously offense is never going to be the strength of his game, but he, you know, he gets up and and makes plays when he ha- when he has to or when it's there. Um, so yeah, so good to see him get get a goal and an assist. And be- before, I'm sorry, Brian, because we haven't let you talk in a, in a sec. But um, also, just a last in like a thousand six. I know. So sorry, Seconds. sorry. Um, but Krejci, when when I asked Krejci about you know Carlo Carlo's game and, and his offense, uh. He said the reason why Carlo doesn't, you know, get on the score sheet much is because he's like, he doesn't look to shoot first. And he was happy that he actually took the shot and, and, you know, tried to put it, put it on net himself. So he said he more so looks for 
to make the pass than to take the shot. And that's one of the reasons why he hadn't scored yet. Um, but he, but Krejci was um, happy to see it, it go in for him and happy to see him actually take the chance. Well, that he also doesn't really have the skill set to be a, to to put money in the back of that either. I think I think I don't think Krejci is going to say that though. <laughs> um, well, he's very clearly like a well liked player in the locker oh, room, yeah. and or they the they they have yeah they they have only like they they all have a lot of respect for him, even including the veterans on the team like Bergeron and Krejci. If you when you listen to how they talk about him, they talk that he's a, a leader. He is a, an off ice and on ice leader to them, um, even though he's younger, um, you know, not quite in that veteran group yet. So um, we but, we heard a little bit of that tonight. But but I would I would say he's a bit of a bit of a veteran. Though. I mean, he's not he's not in his thirties, but he's been in the league long enough. Like Scott alluded to earlier, where he definitely has, I mean, veteran status. I mean, he's when you when you compare it to other kids that are nineteen, twenty, and he's whatever twenty six, twenty seven. I mean. He has he has the experience. I think I think for the Bruins though, it's the, the the goal here, the goal there for him is great, but they don't need that from him in the playoffs. What they need is is him to be uh, just that really um, really difficult presence to play against in a, in, a, in a seven game series. To use his reach, to use his size, to box guys out when when one on one battles in the corner and and all those things and. He's definitely been playing a lot better. Not that he he wasn't he didn't really play he didn't really have many bad stretches this year. I'm more so talking about last year, uh, like Scott was mentioning earlier. But for you know he had that concussion earlier in the year, and it was like okay, well now now you, now you're talking about a guy who's going to be seeing ghosts every time he has you know because that's just the luck that he has. But uh, fortunately, he hasn't had any setbacks since then, and and he seems to be. Uh, be playing to, to his capability. Um, one, one, one player you guys mentioned earlier as well. And I do want to bring up Clifton because there were some post game comments about him, but you know, the, he, he, there weren't many Bruins that started this game on time and Connor Clifton was one of them who did one of the few who did. And I think that Clifton has the ability similar to Charlie McAvoy in the sense that he, he is capable of knowing when a team needs a spark, a big hit, or something to get the team going when they're not playing too great. Uh, McAvoy has done that time and time again in his six-year career. And um, Clifton has that ability, too. And you saw that tonight. I mean, the Bruins, they were terrible. Terrible. They, 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 were, they were in quicksand. And Clifton, he was making – he had a few hits. And obviously, later in the, in the period, he jumped into the rush and – you guys talked about his goal earlier. So um, I just want to give him a tip of the cap because I do think he's played, he's played awesome this year. I, I know, I know he went a little quiet as, as of late when the blue lines gotten more healthy, but um, you guys can talk about what Jim Montgomery spoke to after the game about Cliffy hockey. Cause I found that to be interesting. It's it's, it, I think, I think people talk about that in jest and it's kind of lighthearted, but it is, it is one of those things where if you actually think about it, it's if you're Clifton, it's, it is, you do understand why Montgomery would say, that he doesn't like that and that Clifton wouldn't like it either because there is a connotation to it where it's like, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, reckless hockey. And I think people kind of say it lovingly. I don't think they meant anything by it, but I found those comments interesting if you guys want to dive into that. Yeah. So I, I was, I was there. I was the one who asked him about it, but um, he, he was like, yeah, I hate, I hate the nickname. He said he doesn't like it. He said coach came up to him and, and asked him about it and, and talked to him about it. But he said, what he said was it's like, 
okay, Cliffy hockey can mean the literal worst stuff that I do and the best stuff that I do. It's like when I'm, when I make a horrible mistake or when I make a great hit or something like it, it's never like in between. And I'm trying to not have like those polar, polar games. Like I'm trying to be more in the middle. Um, but he does not like the, the being called Cliffy hockey, but he said it's stuck and now there's no getting rid of it pretty much. So I doubt they're not, they're going to stop calling him Cliffy hockey and fans are not going to stop calling him Cliffy hockey. Cause they say it as a joke. Like you said, Brian, like, it's just kind of like a, it, but it's turned from a negative thing to a positive thing. Has it not? Like, I feel like the connotation of it has changed to the point where I don't think you need to get rid of the nickname, but it means something different now. Yeah. And I don't think it was ever, I don't think it was ever like meant as a negative thing. Like, you know, it was never really like, oh, he makes some horrible mistake. And he'd be like, oh, well, I guess that's Cliffy Hockey. It was more of like he would he would just be aggressive. And yeah, like at times reckless, whereas like throw a big hit and, and you know, or what or get involved in the rush or, you know, try to like beat a defender one on one that he really shouldn't have tried. Like they weren't like horrible, horrible mistakes. It was just being a little too aggressive. Um, but it's odd. Like, I would like to go back because I feel like there was a time where he kind of embraced it. And I don't know. Maybe that's changed. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but like Ty Anderson tweeted that he, I think he talked to someone like either like right after post game availability or, or whatever. And they said like he, he likes it and he's just putting it like putting you guys on basically. So I don't know. We might not be fully to the <laughs> bottom of, he looked Cliffy me right hockey. in the eye and he told me that he doesn't like the name. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna take his word for it. And Jim Montgomery definitely wasn't lying. I think Jim Montgomery legitimately doesn't like it, or at least he certainly won't use it. Well, um, here's the quote in case people missed it. Um, it was Montgomery said, I I do not like the term Cliffy hockey. In our room, it was born out of him being too reckless. That's basically that the explanation why he doesn't like it and why he told them he told them I guess to stop saying it. Um, and but he also said about Clifton tonight was was one of his best games he had in a while. So yeah, and and he has been really this season in particular he has been playing much more under control, which I think you know Cassidy always tried to get him to do that, but I feel like under Cassidy it kind of took on. Um, sort of like under control meant just playing defense and taking care of your own zone. And it was like almost cutting out some of his offensive game and transition game. Whereas I think under control now means still being involved in all three zones, but just not being reckless about it. And I think that's been huge because like we've seen, yeah, I think he, I think Clifton's had a really strong defensive season, but we're also seeing him still be lead transitions at times and be involved in the offensive zone. I mean, the, his goal tonight was the right play. Like that, there was nothing reckless about him taking the puck deep into the offensive zone and then wrapping behind the net and coming out the other side. Like that was the right play because that's what was there and that was the best way to create a scoring chance. So like that was under control, but also still giving him the freedom to be involved on offense. 
It's definitely a maturity thing as well, because like when I had the one-on-one with him earlier in the season, he talked about how like he's just better at picking his spots. And that's really just something that comes with playing in the NHL and playing against all sorts of different types of players. Like you all of a sudden you're playing against some guys that have these moves that you've never played against in college. Like, Hughes like he he mentioned Hughes being someone like I he wouldn't step up on to try to take the puck away from like you got to play that those situations differently so I think just playing as long as he's been playing now um he's seen when to pick his spots when not to when like you know he's cut out the the dumb penalties for the most part like he used to be frustrating most of all when he just took the most untimely penalties and that's something that he needed to get out of his game and he has gotten out of his game and I do feel I do get a sense of maturity when when talking to him um and and yeah that that has a lot to do with his success um on top of the fact that he's got more freedom as well under Montgomery Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let me ask you guys about another defenseman on the blue line and, and how you feel they've played in the last dozen games or so, 15 games, and that's Matt Grizzlick. Um Eight points in, eight points in 27 games this year, two points in his last 12, two assists in his last 12. Now, I'm not I'm not watching Matt Grizzlick thinking that he needs to be a point-per-game guy, even a half of a point-per-game guy necessarily. And, um, but I do think that, I've noticed he hasn't been, uh, I don't want to say himself, but I've definitely seen him. I've seen him at another level. And let's not forget, he also had off-season surgery too, right? So we talk about Charlie McAvoy trying to get back into rhythm and, and Brad Martian. We kind of forget that Matt is getting back there too because he came back a few weeks earlier than they did. and um, But he also was without a full training camp. And so I guess... You know, I mentioned the two points in his last 12 games, but more so, more than that, it just seems like uh, he's not he's not himself transitioning the puck. He's not – I mean, yeah, there, there, there are times where he, he's making the right plays and he's, and he's shaking off four checkers and whatnot, but it just kind of seems like uh, he might be second-guessing himself a little bit uh, in his own zone and, and uh, instead of trusting his instincts. I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have picked up on that and if it's just a matter of him working out of, um, you know, uh, missed time in the offseason and kind of jumping right into the fire this year, like McAvoy has and and like Martian is are trying to do. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's part of it. Um, it's a like I actually think he's been pretty strong defensively for the most part. I, Trent, like there was one shift a couple games ago. I forget exactly which game where he kind of got pushed around a little bit and had a tough shift. But for the most part, I think he's been really good in the zone end to to what you were talking about, like he hasn't been involved as involved offensively or really leading transitions as you would expect, especially under this system. But I still think he's been pretty solid. And I, I think he's, especially when he's played with McAvoy, he's been willing to accept, accept kind of more of a complimentary role, but it hasn't looked 
it hasn't quite the same as it has in the past. Like in the past, it would be almost even in terms of which one of them would get a chance to take the puck and carried up, carried up ice or get down low in the offensive zone. Whereas now it seems like more deferring to McAvoy where, okay, he'll get to do that. And Grizzly will almost be the one to just stay back, which I don't think like fully maximizes what that pairing can be because Mm -hmm. I think it works better when, when they are both dangerous that way. Um, And like I said, like, I don't know if there's a, a conscious effort, to like be more deferential towards McAvoy or if to your point, that's because maybe Grizzly just isn't feeling confident enough to, to play the way that we've seen him play in the past. But um, just one thing that I noticed, cause I was looking this up for Carlo and um, you know, Carlo leads the Bruins defenseman in like most shot suppression categories. Um, Corsi against shots against expected goals against like really solid defense. The one category where he's second is goals against per 60 minutes when he's been on the ice. The only Bruins defenseman who's been on the ice for fewer goals is Matt Grizzly. Matt Grizzly, in fact, has the lowest goals against per 60 on the team. 0.84. It's kind of funny. Like it almost feels like there's been somewhat of like a role reversal for some of these players this year. Where like yeah. Grizzlick has had that like, and and I can't agree with you more, Scott. That I have not noticed like nearly any mis- like defensive breakdowns, mistakes, um, bad turnovers in his own end. But I also can't recall very many dangerous scoring opportunities or you know the transitions that we've seen him from him in the past. Um, and even when he was back and McAvoy wasn't back yet, he felt I felt like he was getting more. Um, of those opportunities just because of the fact that, um, you know, they didn't have a full healthy decor. So he was able to pitch in a little bit more in different areas, like on the power play, but he has been so solid defensively, which you would have thought going into the season, like, okay, you wouldn't probably have expected so much offense from Clifton and you wouldn't have expected that we'd be talking about Grizzly, um, you know, being so solid on defense rather than, helping out um on the offense the way that he had been in the past and it's interesting as well just based on his size um and his skill set that you know he's smaller faster more equipped for that offensive style game but he's been really solid in his own end which is true which is true i just want to i bring it up because it's just um you don't want you don't want to forget what it is that that he brings to the table for this team. They want to, they want to be a faster team. They want to start from their back end and, 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 and skate downhill. And he's a big part of that. And, you know, so it, it's just a matter of like, uh, again, similar with Marshan and McAvoy. I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. Uh, it's just food for thought here. And as, as Scott said, the dog days of, of December. Um, but I do. It, I, it, sorry. I was going to say, if you, I want to stick with a defense. If you had, one last thought on Grizzly. Did you? Uh, no, no. If I did, I forget what it was. Now. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, I was going to say, like, um, before we transition off defense, I had this question, like, for, for you guys. I just want to hear what your answer would be. Do you think that over the past, you know, week, two weeks, or 
what have you that just even over the season as a whole that Hampus Lindholm at times, I really feel like he is the Bruins best defenseman. Um, I know McAvoy is obviously, you know, the guy that, that you look to, but it kind of just a reminder in today's game, like Lindholm gets moved onto the top power play unit, McAvoy onto the second unit. I think Lindholm does a really good job quarterbacking the power play. And, and he did that well today. Um, and I do feel like he's just a steady presence back there. And I know his offensive numbers were much, you know, he was at going at a higher pace um, offensively points wise to start the season. But I just feel like he's such a solid defender that at times I'm like, okay, that's the Bruins top defender. Yeah. I would say certainly on the season, or even if you, you know, take out the time that McAvoy missed. Yeah. I would say Lindholm's having the better season so far. Um, and yes, it looks like they're number one at times, but I think that's really just a product of Lindholm's been fully healthy and up to speed all year. And like we said, McAvoy, you know, is still still coming back. Like McAvoy put up a bunch of points right away, and it, you're like, okay, he's back, awesome. But you know, some of that was like a little bit misleading. Um, obviously, it was going to take some time. I think you're you've seen that more over the last few weeks where it's like, okay, you know, he's maybe still not doing things at quite the high level that he was last year or the year before. Um, I think he will, as we've already said, like, I'm not concerned about it. I would expect by the end of the season, McAvoy probably looks like the number one ahead of Lindholm, but Lindholm is obviously having a great season. And yeah, the, the offense is, slow down a little bit, but we knew it was going to, he's not, I think his career po- high in points coming into this year was 34 or it was like somewhere in the mid thirties. So it was like, okay. He, he was on like an 80 point pace early in the season. He, <laughs> yes, he was never going to, he was never going to keep that up, but. um, And that move, but, like you look back on it and you're like, okay, what they gave up for him was absolutely like do that deal. And, you know, don't hesitate to do that deal. Yeah, I think I think when talking about you know which one is their their top defenseman or or whatever, I, I think I think when they're both playing at the top of their game, I think an element that McAvoy brings that Lindholm doesn't necessarily bring that allows McAvoy to be that truly truly elite number one guy is is the physical element, um, the ability to to change the game on a, on a, in one hit um, and just just the ability to get to get dirty on, on a shift to shift basis. Not that Lindholm can't here and there, but it's just, it's more of a natural part to Charlie's game than it is uh, Lindholm's. But when you, when you look at their, their ability to, you know, join, join the rush, um, you know, in transition and just move around the offensive zone with and without the puck. Um, they both, they both have similar attributes there. Um, but I would say I would say when he's on his game, the physical element is what separates McAvoy probably from Lindholm as as that guy. But yeah, I mean, it, there's no doubt that Lindholm has hit the ground running this year, and McAvoy is still trying to get back up to speed. But um, it's a great problem to have. And as far as as far as the power play goes, we kind of talked about that uh, last episode where McAvoy just is he's second guessing himself a bit, not not patrolling the the top uh, the top of the umbrella with that first unit. 
as good as he has in the past. And so, you know, Montgomery said it. It's just a matter of shifting things around, give everybody a new look. It wasn't necessarily a demotion for him or a promotion for Lindholm. I mean, you have pretty two, pretty two solid um, power play units. So, yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see when when um, when McAvoy. I'm still waiting for that first big open ice hit on the season for him, where it's like that's 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 the McAvoy we know. But um, until then, thank God Hampus is here because it, it is it is good that coming back from injury that McAvoy has Lindholm to 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 carry the weight with him if it was just him back there he'd be worn out by the end of the season so um it's good that they have that one-two punch it's the depth like the the depth of the team this year has just been solid and um and cap questions have you know were there from the beginning of the year they're still here but they've been able to maneuver the cap and not lose depth really um obviously they they moved to Nika, but they haven't they haven't needed another center so far. Um, luckily, like when Krejci went out, Zaka moved over. He's already in your lineup. So some versatility and, and depth has been one of the biggest strengths of the Bruins this year. And one of the reasons why they, you know, end up winning by four in this game against Florida and, and not falling apart was because of the depth. And, and coach said, um, you know, the reason why they were able to stay in it was they were rolling four lines. Like they had, they, they have four lines that can go and bring it. And um, there's not like a huge drop off. So the depth in a lot of ways, you see it help. You see it on the blue line. You see it where like somebody steps up and that's why, you know, there's not a huge letdown in a game or, or it's why they can make mistakes and still get points and win games. Yeah. And they've been able to, especially on defense, like you can roll different guys in different places for different stretches. Like we saw early in the season, obviously, you know, we, we talked about it. It, was, it looked like Clifton had passed Carlo on the depth chart. And now we've seen some games recently where Carlo plays more minutes and it's like, it's not a knock on Clifton at all. It's, you know, credit to Carlo and it's just a credit to the depth, like depending on the situation or, the matchup or who's, you know, playing better that night. Like you can just rely on either one of them. Um, you know, we've seen them try different pairings. They even tried, you know, Montgomery even gave forward McAvoy a shot last week. And I, I didn't think they were like bad at all. Yeah. I thought it, they were in a much better place than when they played together last year. Um, yeah. So, you know, to your point, like you don't have to rely on, on any one person or two people up front. We've seen games where the third line leads the way offensively. So just kind of a lot less pressure on, on everyone when you're getting contributions all over. Yeah. And I had a question for you, Scott, actually, because there was, um, there was a move the Bruins made earlier today to wave Craig Smith. And so just like maybe spend a little bit of time, talking about that because this it does have to do with the depth so technically Anton Strawman is still like he's been waived but he's still kind of in the situation where he could come back and play they wave they they were they wave Smith and they you know what what how much cap space did that open up and would they now like have the ability to get Strawman back in if they needed to? Is there enough space, cap space for him? Because he didn't have a big contract. Well, so as of right now, it hasn't freed up anything because obviously Smith 
cleared waivers, so they can either keep him in Boston or send him down to Providence. Well, they can assign him to Providence. Whether he actually goes there would be another story. Um, but obviously he played Monday night. So my yeah. guess, my guess is they're going to send him down. I don't know. I haven't been on Twitter because I, if I have multiple tabs open, uh, our streaming service freezes on me, but, um, there, so the holiday roster freeze goes into effect at midnight, which is pretty much right. The time that it is right now as we're recording. Um, and then is, so rosters freeze through December 27th. Uh, yeah. So the reason that the Bruins do that now is they now have the option to like potentially send Smith down during uh, like over Christmas when there's a break in games and they can accrue some cap space that way where right now they're really not accruing too much cap space in season because they used long-term injury reserve for a long period of time, and they are right up against the cap. Um, I think they had like 30-something thousand in cap space as of Sunday when they made the decision to waive Craig Smith. So if you can send him down, it would free up like $1.1 million is how much you can bury in Providence, even if it's just a paper transaction. And then you can start – you can accrue a little bit more cap space at least over like this next week. So we'll see. We'll see if they keep him around, you know, through the end of the week or if he gets sent down now or whatever. But um, I mean, they have Greer, so like they can send him down. Yeah. It's just kind of more of a tricky situation with his, you know, how long he's been in the league, what kind of player he is, how, how yeah, which is that. why I think it would just be a paper move more than anything where it's like, yeah. okay, like we're sending him down over Christmas, but. You know, he's not actually going to Providence. He's not going to be playing with the P Bruins. Like he, you know, he's going to be back right after Christmas type thing. And um, also, unless, unless they in Providence right now too, because Riley's still there. Yeah, unless they, you know, work out a trade at some point. Like because I do still think, I do still think they want to free up some cap space on more than just like a one week basis. Um, going forward, because I think. They, they're probably going to want to add something before the trade deadline. I don't think it'll be anything huge, but even if you want to add depth, like they're going to have to free up some cap space. So I think they're probably still looking at potential trade options involving both Riley and Smith. Uh, obviously they haven't found anything yet. Both have cleared waivers so no one was going to take on their contracts at full price. So that sort of tells you what the market is. Like you're going to have to, either retain salary or, you know, include a pick or prospect or whatever. Um, so we'll see. I'm sure they're exploring all options, but it does give them a little bit of flexibility now to, you know, you can bounce Smith back and forth if you need to. You can, like I said, bet like kind of bury him over the holidays and, and accrue a little bit more cap space. Um, but I would expect him to, to whether he stays through the end of the week or not, expect him back like after christmas so dating back to dating back to um the bruins first game of april last year and uh so i think that was like 15 games in april or maybe 12 i think it was 15 and then seven playoff games and his 18 games this year let's just i'll keep it very simple dating back to april of last year 
Craig Smith only has, including playoffs, nine points. Overall, that's probably around close to 40 games. So, um, you know, his struggles this year, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of snowballed from last year too. I kind of lump it all together because last year in the playoffs in seven games, he had zero points. The entire month of April last year, before the playoffs, he had five points or not even, I think it, whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, this has been, this has been more of a, more than a Costco sample for Craig Smith. I mean, he, he was obviously a good player for the Bruins for, you know, the first season and a half they had him, but there's no doubt the last 50 games, he's been offensively anemic for them. And it sucks because he's a good locker room guy and he works hard, but um, you know, he's still in the, he's still with the Bruins. Obviously I'm just, I'm just saying like anytime they wave somebody, we have to talk about it because it's potential that somebody takes them. Right. And the Bruins are, okay with that reality if that did happen in fact they probably want that to happen so um i mean they, they waved felino in the beginning of the year and i'm sure they're glad now that he cleared waivers yeah a bit of a different situation though yeah, well, it was. I I just, just thinking when you say like okay there was a potential for someone to pick them yeah there was and and just right, thinking right. back on this the the season that felino's had just kind of a reminder yeah he was waived early on in the season um and luckily for the bruins that no one picked him up Fortunately for, for Felino though, he was able to thrive in the fourth line role they've asked him to be in and, and take advantage of some power play time and, and this and that. But for Craig Smith, he's not a natural fourth line guy. He's just not, it's not what his skill set's supposed to be. He's supposed to be a, a shot first mentality finisher. And, you know, he was, a, he was a perennial 20 goal guy for, you know, what was it? Seven or eight seasons in the NHL. And, you know, I don't know. It could be a combination of a lot of things. It could be, you know, he, he he's a good skater, so it's not like the game's too fast for him. But he's definitely not gaining separation with his speed. So maybe he maybe the league has caught up to him a little bit. In any event, he's been struggling. It sucks to see because he's a good guy and, and a really good uh, locker room guy. I know he's very popular in the team, very outgoing. Um, so unfortunate situation, but it just it doesn't look like there's a natural fit for him on this team anymore. But for now, he's still he's still around. So. But yeah, something's got to give. Before we wrap up, there's a, a few things we we need to touch on. Um, we we didn't record after the Columbus game, so there's probably one or two things from that game to to hit. Um, especially the Bergeron 1,000 point ceremony. Um, Scott, you were there. I, I don't. I I wasn't there. A lot of Saturdays, I'm not there. Um, but so that and Swayman being in net and and how he played from Columbus are two things we wanted to touch on. Scott, I'll let you start with that. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bergeron ceremony was obviously really nice. You know, they had a video featuring the, the other three members of the Bruins 1000 point club, um, Phyllis Pizzito, Johnny Busick, Ray Bork. Johnny Busick was there to present one of the gifts to Bergeron. Don Sweeney gave him the, you know, kind of, classic golden stick um that we've seen other players get for the thousand points um you know martian and crazy obviously is two longest teammates at this point uh you know gave him gifts as well his family was out there for it uh his kids were on the bench during warm-ups watching warm-ups um so just a really cool ceremony obviously you know great ovation from the crowd uh they also played a video of the other active 
1,000 point members uh, welcoming welcoming Bergeron to the club, which I think they play. I think they might have played before. Yeah, they or, had or that they posted on social media or something. Mm-hmm. They because yeah. yeah, I watched that before. They had it like the day after. I want to yeah. say. Um, so but, that um, that was there. Yeah, fans booed Ovechkin and Crosby, so that was nice. <laughs> that's not that's not nice. They were being nice this time, guys. Just mm, let doesn't them matter. talk. Doesn't matter. Um, and I saw Mount Porter posted a picture from the locker room after the game that that his kids had gone in there and wrote, "Congrats, Dad!" Yeah. Or, "Congratulations, Dad!" On the little like it's like a giant iPad is probably how kids see it. It's where they like draw up their plays and stuff in the locker room and. Oftentimes we do see the kids like Bergeron's kids or Felino's kids and they're just messing around with it, drawing stuff on it, but they wrote on there, congratulations, dad. Yeah. And then, you know, so I think obviously that was nice. Probably the more important takeaway as it relates to like this current Bruins team and moving forward uh, was Swayman's performance because we've talked about this. He, you know, his previous star before that was, a tough one in Arizona. Gave him four goals and 16 shots. Got sat down for the next three games. Allmark made three straight starts. And Swayman was really good on Saturday. Was tested more than you would have expected going in against Columbus. Uh, you know, a really bad team. But as we talked about earlier, the Bruins haven't been playing their best hockey. And when you're not doing that, one one sign that you're not playing your best is you give up 30-whatever shots to the Columbus Blue Jackets um, and force your goalie to have to make some some pretty good saves. But Swayman did, and he was up to the challenge, and it was a good bounce back for him. And I think I think it was one that need that was needed because you don't you don't want bad starts to pile up. Like we already saw one of them led to three straight starts for Ulmark. So what would what would a second one in a row have have done? Now they have a back to back this week, so they were probably both starting, you know, splitting Thursday and Friday starts no matter what. But like I said on the last pod, like you you're gonna have to at some point get to get back to closer to an even split, um, and not have to ride all mark as much as they have at times so far this season. But to do that, you have to have some confidence in Jeremy Swayman to play well when he gets in there. And uh, Saturday was a good step towards that. And now, you know, we'll see whether he starts Thursday against Winnipeg or Friday against New Jersey. Either way, it's, it's a good team. So either way, that should be a good test. Yeah. He was off to such a good start. He, you know, he kind of wanted, he wanted to hit the score sheet. Did, 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 did you guys, did you, did you guys mention that at all earlier in the episode? no, um that yeah that was a i thought he had it that was like that was looking pretty good but and and he said he he really wanted it he's he's never scored at any level by the way no bruins goalie has ever scored a goal yeah um so would have been history in a year that they keep making history at least in the first as much as they can in the first two months of the season so uh it just barely missed it's like it's like when golden bombay talks to charlie Quarter of an inch, Charlie. <laughs> Just a quarter of an inch, and it would have gone in. Yeah, well, a quarter of an inch the other way would have missed completely. But no, that was uh, it, Columbus. Kind of like gave him all the time in the world too to make that. That was uh, if there was ever a time to do it, it would have been that opportunity. Unfortunately, By the way, did you see missed. that the the next day, um, Maine Mariners goalie scored? 
So Swayman just missed, but Bruins ECHL affiliate uh, gets one the the very next day. And I think it was I think it was the first. Now obviously the Maine Mariners have not been around nearly as long as the Boston Bruins, but it was also the first one in a uh, Maine Mariners history. Yeah, that would have been something. Talk about organizational depth there in, 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 the, in between the pipes. Um, Bridget or Scott? I think, you guys it, I think it was Fran- Francois Brassard, I think, was the one who scored. Oh, yeah. So. Big old Francois, yeah. Yeah, mm. I know Francois. Um, <laughs> do, do you guys have anything else you wanted to cover before we take off? Well, just um, to push it forward just a little bit off of Swayman, Allmark's night. Like, Allmark, I, we touched on him a little bit earlier, but – some of those saves he made in the third period were just ridiculous. Um, he had a glove save. Even Forbert had a save at one point in the, in the third period. So, I mean, you, you just still haven't seen too much of a drop-off. There was there were times where sometimes the rebounds came out that maybe he could have held on to earlier in the game. But in that third period, he looked just as good as he has the whole season. Yeah, that, that one save you mentioned was, was, a, was gorgeous. I mean, I think – I think the game ended with Florida out shooting Boston like 39 to 24 or something like that. So, um, you know, it's, 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 again, it speaks to how strange of a game it was because you're talking about a game where the Bruins were up for nothing. And here we are saying, well, their goalie kind of kept them in it at times um, because start to finish the Bruins were not the better team. I think there were pockets where they were the better team. Um, but Florida, Florida, let's be honest, they deserved, they probably deserved better tonight. And the reason that they didn't get it was because all Mark, uh, was all Mark, you know, including even, even that first play of the game, like uh, I forget who it was on Florida that went down in a breakaway, but all Mark makes a stop and then Lindholm crashes into all Mark. And, and if, if, if Florida, I think they did challenge it, but like, even if you wanted to stay that puck was crossed the line, you couldn't see it. I mean, all, cause all Mark knew, even though Lindholm was crashing into him, like he had to like, you know, put his skate blades up against, you know, the ice and st- stop himself as much as he could from going completely over the line with the puck in his, in his bread basket. So he, he was tested early and even though the Bruins had a four lead and yeah, there was a leaky one. I think that went on him uh, when Florida had their little comeback in the second period. But yeah, I mean uh, he looked good and he looked really strong in the third period. Like you mentioned. Yeah. We got the classic intent to blow the whistle call. Um, that always makes me, uh, if we have any UMass Lowell fans listening, I'll trigger them right now. That always reminds me of uh, like one of the most controversial hockey East calls and the 2009 hockey's title game. BU went on to win the national title that year, but uh, in the hockey East title game against Lowell, I think BU, I think the final score was one, nothing. And like Lowell appeared to tie the game and it got called back on intent to blow the whistle. Um yeah, you know, I was just looking at uh, just the goaltending in this game, and I really like, I've said before, I really like expected goals. I think they can be a little wonky on just like a one-game basis. I think they tell a better story over a bigger sample size. But uh, Spencer Knight, expected goals against was 2.60, and he gave up seven. That That is just brutal to be. <laughs> Uh, plus 4.4 in expected goals. Um, Allmark was, wasn't as high as I was thinking. Expected goals against was 3.33, and he gave up three, but obviously had some some pretty high-quality saves in there. Yeah, I think the Bruins had like what, – what, it was 
whatever it was, seven goals on 22 shots or, yeah. I mean, because they didn't score in the last shot of the game. So whatever they finished with, they scored seven before that. So yeah, definitely. Uh, you can definitely thank Spencer Knight for, um, for the Bruins pulling this one out too. He, I mean, the, and they didn't the have Uber though. Uh, Barkov. Barkov. Sorry. They haven't had John. They haven't, they haven't had, had Huber all year. All season, no. Yeah, they didn't have Anton. They didn't have Anton Lundell either. So yeah, down they, two of their top three centers. Yeah, and yeah. Kachuk. Kachuk didn't really do much of anything tonight. That's that's good news. Surprisingly, the yeah, he's yeah. had a, he's having a great season. Yep. All right, guys. Um, it's getting late, so if you guys are okay to wrap it up, I think we should probably end here. And uh, we can save some of the Winter Classic talk for later in the week. Um, I know they're starting to build that over at Fenway. Um, and there's some games to cover before then, too. So I think the Bruins play Thursday night against the Jets. I think one of you guys mentioned that earlier. So Winnipeg, I think, is um, – do they have the best winning percentage in the West? Or they're they're right up there? Yeah, I know they did as, as of, like, two – as of, like, the weekend. So but it, it was close. I don't know if they're – they're either still there or, like, very close. Well, there'll be a test. There'll be a test, and I, I can assure you, if the if the Bruins continue to play the way they've been playing, despite having a couple of wins mixed in there, um, they might get their first regular uh, regulation loss at home handed to them on Thursday. So they better come ready to go. Uh, and and you don't want to be embarrassed on January second and lose, you know, at Fenway to the to the Penguins and, and and throw up a dud like you did at Gillette against the Canadians back in 2016. So you don't want to you don't want to be sliding going into that Winter Classic. You want to be playing strong hockey to put on a good show for everybody. So um, with that said, thank you guys for listening. We will, we will record when Scott um, Thursday, probably probably Friday night after the the devils, after the back to back. Okay. Right. That makes sense. And then people have all, all Christmas break to, to listen to that episode. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you guys. Play it at your family gatherings. You know, everyone everyone gets down for come open presents, throw on the skate pod. Yeah, get some get the chestnuts roasting on an open fire and play the skate pod in the background. <laughs> but anyway, thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.